God's actions and the scripture in which they are recorded must communicate equally well to people of all times, people of the past, people of the present, and unless Jesus comes again in glory, people of the future. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Well, at our rehearsal, our musical rehearsal for today's service, unfortunately our musicians got treated to a rant by me about how the church has short-changed the doctrine of the ascension. All of the creeds, all of the early preaching of the church talked about not only the cross, but the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ as being necessary for our salvation. Now, it's understandable that we should focus in on the cross because that's the part that we would... It's the part that connects most deeply with our suffering humanity. It's the part that we wouldn't want to suffer ourselves and it's the part that we can't believe God suffered on our behalf. But the ascension, too, is absolutely critical as the final act of our Lord's earthly ministry for the sake of our salvation. So today we're going to focus a little bit on that together. Now the first thing to say about the doctrine of the ascension is that it's important not to get caught up in the mechanics of it. Though I have no doubt that Jesus rose literally into the clouds, I don't think that it was a necessary thing to go to heaven to do that. It was necessary for a different reason. We know in the day and age when we can shoot rockets to the moon, and the Voyager spacecraft, I believe, is now out beyond Pluto, if not on the way to Pluto, that heaven is not above us. But Christians have known that long before we could shoot rockets into space. Both Galileo and the Pope with whom he argued knew that heaven was not physically above us. Heaven is a different state, a different place in that sense. It is the place where God's presence is unmediated and inescapable. And as we know from the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, it is the place where God's will is done, where no one, angel or human, seeks to do anything other than the will of God or to hide anything from him or from themselves in thought, word, or deed. So when we say Jesus ascended into heaven, the point of the ascension is that he is changing planes, changing his locale from which he will be working. From where we are, which was the focus from his conception to this point in time, to being at the right hand of the Father, as we would say. Now that language from the creeds, the right hand of God, does not mean God literally has a right hand. 
For we're told by St. John that God has no body and his spirit. Rather, it is the place of greatest authority in the kingdom. The right-hand man of a king was the one with whom the king had invested the most authority. The one to whom he had perhaps given all authority to act on his behalf. And the reason for Christ's ascending to do that is to communicate clearly with us. Because God has something, a unique challenge in front of him whenever he acts for our salvation. Or has his actions recorded in scripture for our edification. See, God's actions and the scripture in which they are recorded must communicate equally well to people of all times. People of the past people of the present, and unless Jesus comes again in glory, people of the future. And nothing communicates a change in status more than a rising. We're, we're used to people being elevated or elected to a high office. And they step up onto a podium to take their vows of office, as our president does when he is sworn in. In every culture, mountains are symbols of places you go for enlightenment. And the king always sits higher than those in his throne room. So the ascension is meant to communicate to us a change in Jesus' locale, a change in his base of operations, if you want to call it that. And what happens at the ascension of Jesus is that his authority becomes universal. His presence becomes ubiquitous, and all of this is for you. Universal, ubiquitous, and for you. And we're going to drill down on those a little bit together this morning. Universal. This is the authority of Christ becoming universal. Just as the ancient Jews had a unique responsibility to show God's character to the world, and indeed, all people were called to come and worship their God eventually, as we see in the prophet Isaiah and other places. So now, the Christ who came first for the Jews will now have universal authority, as our passage from Ephesians testifies to today. That by that authority, he will call all people, Jew and Gentile, to come to God the Father through him. He will be the unique conduit of God's grace and the unique road to God. The way, the truth, and the life for all people. And that will soon be unpacked for us in the book of Acts and later by St. Paul as he writes his epistles. So Jesus now, his authority becomes universal in the ascension. His presence also becomes ubiquitous. Now, ubiquity is a word we don't use very often, but it's a fancy word which means everywhere. Christ, we see Christ doing some amazing things following his resurrection. We see him popping in and out of locked rooms. We see him appearing and eating with the wounds with which he died still in his flesh. We see him walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, but his presence disguised from them, even as he walked and talked with them for hours. But what we never see is Christ in two places at once. Indeed, 
being truly God and truly man, as long as this was his base of operations, our locale, the material world, his humanity was limited to being in one place at one time. But now, now that his base of operations is from the right hand of the Father, truly God and truly human, he can be present to everyone, everywhere, at all times who call upon him. And this again is captured for us in our Ephesians passage today, when we are told that the fullness of him who fills all in all is given now as the head of the church, the governor of the church. Now we are not always governed easily or well, but he is our true governor. And he can be present now to everyone who calls upon him. See, just as God is truly present everywhere and filling all things, as the ancient prayer says, yet that doesn't mean you can call upon him unless you know who he is and trust that he will answer. Now those who know and trust Christ can call upon him and be assured of his presence to them whether it be in the gulags of the Soviet Union or on a high throne ruling over people, whether it be in the struggle of a battlefield or whether it be in the peace and comfort of a, a family gathering. Everyone high and low now has equal access to God by calling upon the person of Christ who is present to them always. And this ability to be present everywhere all the time is what, in fact, informs our doctrine of the real presence in the Eucharistic feast, as our first hymn spoke of. In fact, a friend of mine helped me understand John Calvin's reservations about that particular doctrine uh, as a committed Calvinist himself. And Calvin's, Calvin's reservations had nothing to do with the idea that Christ in his godhood couldn't be present on every altar truly, in, with, under, and through the wine and the bread, but rather his concern that it would be a denigration of Christ's humanity that he should be in more than one place at a time. And this shows the limitations of thinking of heaven as a place. If heaven is the locale in which God's will is done, and it is God's will to be present everywhere, Christ can truly be present in every Eucharistic feast without violating the truth of his humanity. And so we, in the church, when we gather around the meal that he commanded us to celebrate in his memory, trust that he is present in, with, under, and through the bread and wine and in the fellowship of the saints. Because where two or three are gathered in his name, truly he is present among them. We who gather in that way are called the church. And as I said before, we are not easily governed by our governor. History is replete with the sins of Christians unfaithful to the commands of their Lord. And of course, it is precisely to forgive sinners that Christ took on the cross but it is also why he ascended. It's a little bit of a foreign book, so I recommend you do it with a study Bible. But I encourage you to open your Bibles this Ascension weekend, or this Sunday when we celebrate the Ascension, and read the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews talks about Christ as our great high priest in the heavenly temple. Now, there's a reason why he is delineated specifically as the high priest. See, the high priest in the temple of Jesus' day had one responsibility that no other priest could fulfill. That was on the day of Yom Kippur, the great day of atonement. He would go into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifice to God Most High for the sins of all the people. And then those sins would be ritually placed on an unblemished lamb called the scapegoat, who was then sent off into the wilderness, symbolizing how the sins of the people of God had been as far removed from them as could be. Now, in, in his ascension, Christ becomes our great high priest. He is both the priest making the sacrifice and the sacrificial victim. This is why in the book of Revelation, we see him standing at the throne of God with God the Father as a lamb slain. Now, slain lambs, in my experience, don't stand. If you see a lamb standing as one who was slain, that means he was raised from the dead. And now... He makes intercession for you. Those words which are spoken each time we receive the bread or the wine of communion, the body of Christ given for you, the wine, the blood of Christ shed for you. Luther considered the words for you the most important words that were spoken at that moment because they reminded us that our great high priest was interceding for us constantly for the forgiveness of our sins and empowering us through his sacrifice to be cleansed of those sins and go back to trying our best at obedience to the life he has commanded us to live. Yes, we are unruly children and indeed rebellious but this is why our high priest, who was tempted in every way as we are, but without sin, now lives, ruling from the right hand of the Father to intercede for us as our great high priest. This is what it means. This ascension day means that Christ, is, his authority is universal in his rule. It is ubiquitous. He is always and everywhere present to us. And his rule is for you, for me, for us. And what this all means for us, especially at this moment, as we get ready to reopen following a pandemic, as businesses come back to life and churches reopen their doors carefully and as Organizations like our daycare and restaurants and things like this, as people tenuously step out to begin to try and live life normally again. The meaning for us, as those who follow Christ, is that while, yes, we will be good stewards of our health and the health of our neighbors, yes, we will, while we will take prudential steps to restrict the contagion of this virus, we will do it without fear. For our hope is not ultimately invested in this life, 
where we are like resident aliens. No, it is invested where our Lord is king, in the kingdom of heaven. He rules from God's right hand, and from whence he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We trust in his judgment. We trust in him. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, all that we know of God comes through you. We give you thanks and praise that you humbled yourself to descend, as the book of Ephesians said this day, being born of a virgin, living a life of deprivation, hardship, and ultimately suffering and painful death, rising again for the sake of our justification and now risen to reign from the right hand of God. We give you thanks for all these things you have done for the sake of our salvation. And we, your unruly children, ask that you would grant us the power and the faith to live as you have commanded us to live. Lives of self-sacrifice, even as you sacrificed for us as our great high priest, now we, as your royal priesthood, may be empowered to live lives of sacrifice for others. May we go out, as our daily prayer says, with good courage into a world affected by pandemic, hostility to the gospel, political difficulties, and suffering of every sort. May we go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your right hand is leading us and that you are empowering us to serve in this way. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.